Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Elizabeth Tomaszewski, and if you're able to, would you please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have, you, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you stay standing as we pray? Lord, we are just reminded that we are citizens of heaven. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord, speak to us this day. Speak to us through this message and your word. We pray these things in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's people shouted with joy. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are in a book study of Philippians. So if you would, Philip to Philippians, get there. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. And somehow this message comes out to the Philippians and it is packed full of joy. Somehow the happiest, most joyful person back in the Roman Empire was a guy in jail. And he's got the joy, 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 joy down in his heart. Where? He does. Paul is so joyful. He's in jail and he's encouraging other Christians to be filled with joy and reminding them that they are citizens, not of this world, but citizens of heaven. So this morning, a true three-point sermon. I know you love the three-point sermons. It's the, 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 I don't know, it's my staple, I guess, the Joe Kirkendall sermon. It's usually three points and this sermon is that. First, we're going to talk about uh, following Paul's example. He says, follow my example. Secondly, we're going to talk about following the ways of the world. And Paul says that there are people who are against the cross and here's what they are like. Don't be like them. And the third and final point will be to remind us that we are citizens, not of this world, but citizens of heaven. So if you are flipped to Philippians, look at verse 17 with me, would you? This is the first point. Uh, The point one is follow my example. And Paul says just that. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul says this in other ways, in other books of the Bible. He writes and tells people, follow me. I'm following Christ. There's a verse, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1, that says quite simply in the modern English version, follow me as I follow Christ. I think it's 11, 1. Yeah, it is. Follow me as I follow Christ. A very simple phrase that Paul says, follow me. I'm following Christ, follow me. And it's not like Paul, if you, if you read the context of this Philippians chapter, it's not like Paul is up on a pedestal saying, everybody look at me, I'm the hero of the day, follow me because I got it all together. No, 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 Paul is not like that. It's more like he's on a platform next to the Philippians saying, listen guys, I'm following Christ, I'm going that way, my eyes are fixed on the cross, follow me, 
as I follow the Lord. And, and Paul says, I don't have this all figured out. I'm straining. I'm pushing ahead. I have not obtained all this is what last week Paul said, uh, at least the part we studied last week. And Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. It's like saying in our world in this day, if Christ is too abstract, and sometimes he is like we, we think about Jesus and at least in the paintings, he's got white robes on. He's not from Manitou. He's not even from the West side. He lived lots of years ago. If that's too abstract, if someone is, is not sure who Jesus is, then we should say as a church, as Christians, as followers, we should say, follow me as I follow Christ. We should really say that. It might seem, oh, that's arrogant to say, that's boastful to say. No, this is the example that we have in this world for the outsiders looking in. We are the example of Christ. And it's, it's, to be, it's, it's important to say that. Can you say it with me? Say, follow me as I follow Christ. Ready? Follow me as I follow Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say it. A little harder. Turn to your neighbor. Follow me as I follow Christ. We should say things like this. We should think things like this. I think of the Brackens. They love evangelism. Follow them as they follow Christ. I think about Jerry. He's, he's, he's living his life. He's, stra- he's pressing forward. Follow Jerry as he follows Christ. Where's Carl? Carl, he loves the Lord. He sings. He praises the Lord. Follow Carl as you, as he follows Christ, follow Carl. I think of Dan. Like Dan just does things well. He thinks about Church and Jesus follow Dan as he follows Christ. I could go through this whole congregation and encourage us, say, let us follow Christ because there are people who are following us as we follow Christ. I think of the church with Jesus at its head and the church has everything we need for a life with Christ. If there are those grieving, Come, be comforted. If those that are in here are addicted, come find support. If those are people in here looking for community, come. You'll find it. If there are those that need to get their life on track, come. You will get your life on track. There are people here that are following Christ and follow us as we follow Christ. These are words we need to take to heart. And certainly, I think all of us in here are probably like, well, maybe not me. I've, I, I mess up sometimes. I mess up a lot of times. Of course, the Christian life is not about perfection. The Christian life is keeping our eyes focused on the cross. And what does the cross mean? The cross is forgiveness. The cross is Christ's death for us. And so as we follow Christ, people are going to follow us. We should say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's point one, a quick one. Point number two in this one, two, three point sermon. Point number two is this, get your mind off earthly things. Paul says it much stronger than the point I just made. I will read Paul's words, verse 18. He says this, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. He's not happy about this. He's sorrowful about this. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is, what's it say? Destruction. I think it's, Paul is not happy that the enemies of Christ are going to their own destruction. I think that's part of his tears. He's not happy that these enemies of the cross are going to destruction. He's not happy about it. And he says this, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. 
Who is Paul talking about here? He's talking about those that are enemies of the cross. Certainly at Paul's time, certainly at our time, there are people who are truly enemies of God, enemies of the cross, enemies of love, enemies of God. I think about... um, I guess in our grandparents, great-grandparents' lifetime, uh, I think about like a lot of evil happening all at once. I think of Nazism and Hitler and uh, the horrible tragedies that, that came across I- at that time in the Western world. Um, if you've ever been to Israel, I, I had the wonderful opportunity just a couple months ago to go to Israel first time. I got to go to the Holocaust Museum. It's called Yad Hashem, and it means uh, like the name and the memory. And so they, they put the name and the memory to all these people who have died in the Holocaust, about six million Jews. Um, has anybody ever been to that museum? A couple of, oh, the Shalhammer. Okay. Wow. Quite a few more than I thought. Um, I was told before going into this museum that you can't get through the museum without crying. And so for some reason, being the, uh, I don't know, arrogant person that I am, being like the competitive person I am, I was like, well, I'm going to go through the museum and I'm not going to cry. And uh, a spoiler alert, I didn't make it. I cried. Um, At first it seemed easy. It was a crowded museum. We had a tour guide with like, he had a microphone and we had these little radio headphones and it was hard. It was like crackling to hear. And he, uh, his second language was English. So even in the best case scenario, he was kind of hard to follow. And we're wandering through this very crowded museum. At one point there was another like tour that was like, like we were trying to get ahead of them and they were trying to get ahead of us. And it was like a hundred people. It was like a, a tour from China. And at one point our tour guide said like, we are being blocked by the Great Wall of China. And I was like, what? You can't say that. It's like, ridiculous. So I'm just, we're going through this museum and it's just all just, just like, it's crowded. It's like, okay, this, this is just another museum. And then as the museum progresses, if, for those of you that have been there, for those of you that ever go to Israel, you need to visit the museum. It's very powerful. You can't get through it without crying. Believe me, I've tried. Um, I went to the, there's many different rooms that are impactful and they kind of build on one another. And the room that really got me was the room where they show the, the train cars, where Jewish people were packed like cattle into these cattle uh, that was what built for like cattle. People were put in these trains and separated like on the, on the dock, like right there and put into trains. And then they were going off to these concentration camps. And I was looking around in this room and the reality of it really set in that there was this amount of evil on our earth where one group of people was doing this horrible thing to another group of people. And it really began to, to, to settle in. And here was artifacts of this time and real people's shoes, real people's jackets that were left behind in these scenes. And then I looked and I just, I saw what, what is now I realized was a poem up on uh, the wall. I think we could put the poem up there. It says this written in pencil, in a sealed railway car, uh, and it's this. It's, Here in this car load, I am Eve with Abel, my son. If you see my other son, Cain, son of man, tell him that I... And at first reading through this poem, I was just like, oh, this, these are very Jewish names. This lady's with her son. And then it clicked like, oh, this is, this is a poem. This is Eve representing humanity with her youngest son, Abel, and a very simple, like, if you see my son Cain, tell him. <laughs> and I just, like, I couldn't, like, like, what do you tell Cain? Like, here's Eve representing humanity that is getting, like, forcefully 
thrown into the garbage, basically killed. And if you see Cain, the one doing this, the one in Genesis that, that is killing Abel because he's jealous, what do you say? And that's what God, I was like, what do you, do you tell, do, does Eve say, stop it? knock it off. Does Eve say, I still love you? Does Eve say, does humanity say, um, I forgive you? I, I don't know. It's it just, I couldn't breathe in this museum. I, I had to go to the bathroom and just sit there thinking through like, oh, this is humanity at its worst. Like we can be this bad and it can go this south. There are enemies of the cross. There are enemies of God. And this is in all of us. All of us have this thing inside of us where we are like Cain and Lord help us. We need the cross. We need redemption. If God is not God, then Paul says, then their, their God, little g, becomes their stomach. And that, of course, is the desires. That is the greed. That is just wanting to fill ourselves and take from this world. And it is a horrible road that Paul says the destiny of that is destruction. Their God is their stomach. I think about the cravings of Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall of humanity and Adam and Eve take the fruit. They, they take it and they eat it. And we see this pattern in scripture. We see this pattern in humanity, people taking what they want and it leads to destruction. That is the enemy of the cross. Instead, we receive from God. I think that we'll, we'll celebrate communion uh, here at the end of this sermon as we almost always do. And it's this receiving. We, we come through the line, and if Jesus is your Lord, everyone in here is invited to partake in communion, and we come with empty hands and we receive. We don't take, we receive. I think about this, this saying, Paul says, their God is their stomachs. I think about the sin of Gluttony, one of the sins, uh, one of the seven deadly sins that the church says is, is one of the worst. I think about, we often think, oh, gluttony is just eating too much. Well, it, no, the gluttony, the sin of gluttony is desiring something to take. It could be just a little taste. That could still be the sin of gluttony. The early church said gluttony is the door to all sin. And, and of course, that doesn't just mean food. It's all sorts of desires and wanting them that's not yours to take it. Here's a quote for you by a church father. His name is Maximus the Confessor. And he says it like this. He says, food is not evil. Of course not. Like we, we need food. Food, of course, there's nothing evil about food, but gluttony is. The, the taking, the, the, the wanting, the desire, the childbearing, of course, is not evil. I'm a dad of four boys. It's not, there's nothing wrong with childbearing, right? Right. Amen. But fornication, mar uh, sex outside of marriage, that is evil. Money is not evil. Of course not. But avarice, the greed, extreme greed is glory is not evil. To, to be happy and, and, and revel and, and want and be good. But vainglory is, vainglory is like vanity and, and extreme pride. Indeed, there is no evil in the existing of things, but only in their misuse. This is what Paul is talking about when he says their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction. I think we all know that we need 
Christ in our life. We are all on this path, you know, that we started off this sermon saying, follow each other's example. And we mentioned people, yeah, follow them as they follow Christ. But I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we'd say we are in need of forgiveness. We have all messed up. We have all fallen short and we need the cross. Think about uh, sitting across um, from a mentor uh, maybe a couple years ago, uh, some, somebody that I really respect, kind of a quiet individual, very slow thinking, slow talking, which kind of makes me like just, just want to fill the dead space with like chitter chatter. Does anybody else like that? Like someone's like, like just someone's like you ask a question and they're quiet and then you're just like, well, let me just ramble about something else. If, but I asked him a question and, and, and he was, I, I was just kind of like in this mood where I was like, I kind of fill the dead space. And I basically asked him this question, who's your favorite person in the Bible? It was basically, it was like a kid's question. And, and, and what I meant, I was like, well, like, who do you, you know, who are you like? Are you like maybe David fighting your uh, Goliath? Are you like Daniel praying? even though you're going to get persecuted? Are you like Noah, working for the Lord, getting criticized? Who are you like? Uh, you know, who, who are you most like in the Bible? And he, of course, stopped and paused and made it awkward and then said, I find myself maybe the most like Judas. And I was like, bah! what, Jesus, your hero? Like, what? What are you saying? And he was like, no, I'm not saying he's my hero. I'm not saying I want to be like him. But I often find myself believing in Jesus, knowing what to do, and denying him, going the other way. Lord, help me. I realize that, that that's every one of us. We all, don't we all, we, we, those of us that confess Jesus, we know him and want to follow in his ways, but we find ourselves like Judas, turning our back on him only knowing that we need the cross to turn back to him, to live like him, to follow him. Have you ever known someone that was in, um, just came out on their own, that they had been struggling and dealing with some sin before they were caught, just came out and said, I'm struggling with this. I know I need help. Isn't that all of our story? Like, isn't that us going to Jesus before the cross, like, yes, I know I need help. I know I need Jesus, and it's only him that can cover me of my sin and his death on the cross. Let's look at um, point number three, which is this. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? This is a great thing that Paul is reminding us of joy. He's taking us through this journey, saying, follow me, uh, on this earth. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Why? Well, because there's people in this world that are enemies of the cross. But even if there's enemies of the cross, there are those of us that are citizens of heaven. Paul is, is um, giving the Philippians something uh, that they would have been familiar with, this whole uh, citizenship idea. Paul to the Philippians. Philippi, Philippi was a city that was a part of the Roman Empire, but it was nowhere near Rome. It was like, it's like 700 miles from Rome. And people born in Rome would be Roman citizens. People born like in Italy at the time would be Roman citizens. But people in Greece, where Philippi is, wouldn't necessarily be Roman citizens. But people born in Philippi were. It was like an outpost of the Roman Empire, very strong affiliations and ties with Rome. So anyone in Philippi, at least born there, would be a citizen of Rome. It might be something like my story. I wasn't born in the United States. I was born in Turkey. My, my dad was stationed there at the time. So I'm not a Turkish citizen. 
I'm an American citizen. Why? Well, because I was born on an outpost, on an American Air Force base. And so in some ways, maybe Philippi was like that. It was so connected with Rome that anyone, a part of Rome, would automatically have citizenship. And Paul is using that language that people would have understood at the time. He's saying, you're not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. Citizens of heaven are, I guess, representative of, of by different ways. Like if you're a citizen of the United States, you could get a passport. Anybody have a passport? Anybody? Raise your hands. I, I think you should, all, you should all get a passport. Here's my, I brought my passport. Um, you carry your passport. You know, if you're a world traveler such as myself, <laughs> you never know when you're going to need your passport. Uh, and, and in this passport, it says something. I don't know that anybody reads their passport, but the very first line in, in, in any passport is what you, who you are as this passport calls you. And it says that the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby request of whom it may concern to permit the citizen, the one holding this, uh, the, the national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in the case of uh, uh, need to give all lawful aid and protection. So this shows, proves that I am a citizen, a citizen of the United States. So even if I go to a foreign country, I could show them this. And this is my proof of citizenship. Now, think about that with the world we live in. We are citizens of heaven, and yet we are in a foreign land when we are in this world. Like, that's how Paul wants us to think of our lives. We are here, but we are aliens. Our citizenship is truly in heaven. Um, I think about uh, what it means to become a, a citizen of the United States. You can uh, become a citizen. There's a long process. There's a cost that usually requires residency, maybe getting married to a citizen, maybe serving time in the military. Uh, it does involve tests and interviews. It's this long process. And at the end of this process, if someone wants to become a naturalized citizen, to become a citizen of the United States, there's a ceremony, a beautiful, meaningful full ceremony where someone uh, basically takes an oath. And I have here the first line of that oath. It's very interesting to me. It says this. So someone has gone through the process to become naturalized, a citizen, and then they take this oath. They stand there, they raise their hand. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely entirely renounce all allegiance and fidelity to any other foreign prince, potent state, sovereignty of whom or which I have here been subject to or a citizen of. Very interesting that the very first thing you have to do to become an American citizen is to hereby disqualify yourself from any other allegiance, any other foreign state prince leadership. You have to say no to that country in order to say yes to become a citizen of this country. Very interesting in the spiritual realm that we must, if we are going to be citizens of heaven, we have to say no to the world around us. And it becomes something very important. We, we could say it like this, that citizenship in heaven is not a side hustle. Citizenship in the United States is not a side. You can't be citizens of every country. No, you could only be a citizen of one. And I, 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 for the purpose of the spiritual, I, there is something in the, in the secular called dual citizenship that kind of throws off the whole analogy. But for the purpose of this, we're citizens of heaven and we can no longer be citizens of the world. I think about one of the tests 
that uh, every citizen um, could undergo, that every citizen, if you wanted to really find out if they were a true citizen, I think every citizen of a country should be excited, or as Paul puts it, to eagerly await to see the king. Let me read for you the passage here. Uh, Philippians 3.20, Paul is saying, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So you want to know a test of a citizen of a, of a country? Are they excited to see the king? If you're a citizen of heaven, are you excited are you eagerly awaiting to see the king? I remember um, being, uh, we lived in Germany when I was in high school, and I remember uh, the president in the 90s at the time came to Germany to visit the Air Force Base we were stationed at. And no matter your political party, it's like, it seemed like everyone was excited to see the president. Why? Well, because we were in a foreign land. And the leader of the country came over. I think everyone who is a Christian, a true Christian, should eagerly await the Savior. And it goes on to talk about something very beautiful. Paul talks about the great hope of our, the transformation of our bodies, what heaven will be like, what this resurrection will be like, that we will receive new glorious bodies. And to him who is able to have everything under control, here's what he's going to do. He's going to transform our lowly bodies into his glorious bodies. This is, a, this is pretty powerful stuff. This is powerful writing where Paul is reminding us in joy that we have something huge to look forward to. On this earth, there is sickness. There is death. There is people getting hurt. I know uh, as a pastor, I pray for people who are sick. We, we bring meals to people who are sick. We pray for them. We hope we are a church that believes that Jesus heals today, that the Holy Spirit can heal bodies. We believe that. We pray that strongly. We hope that. But we know that in the end, we will get brand new, glorious bodies. And this is our great hope. I think about... Um, Years ago, maybe it's still being done, there was always a church connected to a graveyard. You had to walk through the graveyard to get to church. This is probably not the best, best strategy for like, uh, what's it called? Like church growth or uh, seeker-friendly movements. Like, let's have them, I got an idea, let's have them walk through the graveyard to church. That's not the best, like people don't like to do that, be reminded of death. And yet there's something pretty powerful about it, don't you think? Like looking around, say, these are the people who have gone before us and they have a hope. We have a hope that one day our Christ will return and we will get new bodies and we will be raised from the dead. I remember seeing along these lines a skull in a monastery, uh, like a real human skull in a monastery. I was like, geez, that's kind of sad. Like, why is, all the, why is there a skull here? This is weird. And on the skull was an inscription in another language. And I figured out uh, through some translation what it said. And it said this. It says, what I am. So on the skull, human skull, etched in there is what I am, you will be too. <laughs> and then it went on. What you are I've already been. It's like, whoa, this is like, 
this is deep. Like this is like here we are on this earth praying, seeking the Lord in a place where there's people praying 24-7. And here is a skull with this inscription reminding us that we're not forever. That this life, it's great. It, it should be full of joy. But in the end, we are going to get sick. We are going to get to die. But there is hope that our glorious bodies will be resurrected from the death. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Amen. There's a word, a Latin word. Um, I'll kind of conclude with this. It's called sacramentum. And it's a Latin Roman word used uh, if you took an oath to Rome, like soldiers uh, taking an oath to Rome would, would do a sacramentum. And it sounds a whole lot like our word sacrament. A sacramentum in the Roman world was an oath of allegiance, an oath to the Roman Empire. And that Roman soldiers, Roman citizens had to take this oath. And for us as Christians, we, we, don't, we don't have something like that uh, other than our sacraments. It's a very similar word. And I think about communion, baptism. These are the sacraments of our church. That these are times in which like, it's like we're reinstating our oath to follow Jesus. Our oath that we are citizens of heaven. And that God is taking an oath to us that we are his. Sacramentum. I think about baptism. We're going to do uh, baptism. We have a baptism service lined up for next week. There's uh, at least one person getting baptized, maybe some others. Um, and if you've never been baptized, I would, I would hold to you that, uh, say to you that this is like taking an oath. This is like the, the mystery of, of proclaiming that you really are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Um, in the Middle East, it's mostly Muslim. I've, I've been to Egypt and, and know that there's a lot of persecution for Christians. Um, you're not allowed to convert in Egypt. Like if, if you're in Egypt, if you're a Muslim, you're not allowed to convert to Christianity. If you do, you just kind of keep it quiet. You don't tell anybody uh, and, and life goes along just fine and, and so on and so forth until you get baptized. Like Getting baptized in many countries is the mark. Like you can think about other beliefs, you can wonder about them, you can dabble, but getting baptized in many countries, especially in the Middle East, is the mark that you are following Christ. This sacrament, this taking on of an oath, this reminder that we are in fact citizens of heaven. So I want to lead us through uh, a prayer. I want to read, lead us through the rereading of this scripture because I think there's great joy in it. I think there's a reminder uh, that we are, in fact, uh, citizens of heaven. So would you stand with me? The band, you can come forward. We're going to begin to prepare our hearts for communion. And if you would, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Listen to these words Paul has to say to us. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often as, uh, excuse me, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. 
Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Lord, we stop and Lord, we pause, we pray to you. We are reminded that we are citizens of heaven. All of us in here that believe, that put our trust in Jesus, we can rely that you are ours, we are yours, Jesus, that we are citizens, not of this world, but you have made us citizens of heaven. We pray these things, we hope in them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.